Amen. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Continuing our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. I've entitled today's message, True and False Ministry. True and False Ministry. There is such a thing as true ministry, that which comes from God, but there's also such a thing as false, counterfeit ministry. And the Apostle Paul is going to identify some of that for us here today. Now, I want to remind you of our context here in chapter 11. This is the section of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, wherein he is contending for the spiritual well-being of this church. And in so doing, he's actually kind of been put in a very awkward, and for him, a very uncomfortable position of having to defend his God-given apostolic authority over this church. He's, He's the one that shared the gospel in Corinth and actually planted the church. But now he's having to kind of reconvince the church that God has given ministry through his life into their their spiritual well-being. And this is the result of spiritual troublemakers. False teachers have crept in. Paul's going to call them, as we'll see, false apostles that have come in and brought accusation. And through deception, they're seeking to lead people away from God's loving leadership of the apostle Paul and looking to create their own following for reasons of personal gain and prideful influence. They were making inroads inroads into the church, and Paul is now writing to preserve the spiritual life of this church that he planted and the the church that he loves. What you're going to see today as we work our way through this text is that Paul is really taking the gloves off now. Paul is going to call these guys out very, very directly going to say some very strong things to the church about these false teachers that have crept in. And as he does this, what he's going to do, he's going to compare his own ministry himself with those that he is going to call false apostles. And um, he's going to draw out some very important distinctions for us between true and false ministry. Let's take a look now. The first uh, point that I'd like to draw out for you this morning. We'll find it in section verses 1 through 4. Paul is going to talk and identify the message, how important the message of the minister is. Look with me now in verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul is concerned now that this church is falling for another message. And he describes the feeling that's in his heart as a godly jealousy. He's not jealous of them. This is not some human, selfish, petty jealousy. This is a jealousy that God has put in his heart. God's love and protection over this people is rising up in the Apostle Paul. It's not a jealousy of them. It's a jealousy for them. And he is lovingly desiring the very best for them, even as a father would for his own daughter that he would give in marriage. 
He says, I have betrothed. In other words, I have, you have been engaged to Christ. We see through the New Testament that the church is, is referenced as the bride of Christ. The wedding day is not yet here. We know that Christ will one day come for His church. And so Paul understands that, that the church is engaged to Christ and he wants to do his part to present the church as this beautiful bride on Christ's wedding day. Preparing people for Jesus. This is part of what Paul's ministry was. And, and we see this throughout the scriptures and other places that this is part of what God puts in the heart of ministers. That they would so take care of his people. You may remember John the Baptist you don't need to turn, but let me reference what the angel said about his ministry. Just before he was born, the angel came and announced his coming and said this would be his ministry. Speaking of John the Baptist, the angel said, He will also go before him, before Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and listen to this, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Part of John the Baptist's ministry was to get people ready for Jesus. And Paul understands this too as a true apostle. And a true apostle, a true pastor, a true shepherd should prepare people for Christ. And he wants them to be reminded that, that it's the simplicity of Christ. This word simplicity could also be translated purity. It's, it, it references a singleness of devotion. Paul is worried that they're getting sidetracked. They're getting distracted by false teaching. They're getting led astray down various rabbit trails that, that are actually leading you away from the simplicity, the purity, the, the power of the gospel message, which is Jesus. It really is all about Jesus. It, it really is all about what God has done for you in Christ. And we cannot get away with that. You cannot preach another Jesus nor can you receive a different spirit or another gospel. In Paul's day, the, some of the false teachers were what they called Judaizers. These were men who looked to bring in a mixture of the Old Testament law and of grace, kind of a combination of Old and New Testament, and it's in fact a different gospel. They cannot be mixed. Jesus cannot be added to nor subtracted from. It is the simple, the pure, the, the power of Jesus Christ. That message cannot be compromised. And he says something very, very interesting. He says, I'm concerned that, the, that Satan might deceive you in the same way that he was crafty in deceiving Eve in the garden. You remember Satan's tactic with Eve in the garden. He first came and got her to question God's word. Hath God said... Are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure God's word to you is reliable? And so there is this introduction to the questioning of God's word. And he went from there, he actually began to deny God's word. You will surely not die, he said to the woman, if you eat of this tree. So questioning and then actually flat out denying the truth of God's word and then ultimately replacing God's word. You will become like God if you partake of this tree. Questioning God's word, denying God's word, and then ultimately replacing it with a completely different message. And what's very alarming here for the Apostle Paul is he does not say to this church, Look, I'm so confident in you guys, I know you'll never fall for that. 
I know that you're strong in faith and doctrine. I know that you won't be deceived. No, he says, I'm concerned you may well put up with it. I'm worried that you are vulnerable to this kind of deception because you're falling for the con. You're kind of being, you're tolerating this doctrine that is leading you away from the simplicity and the purity of following Jesus. This message cannot be toyed or tinkered with. And you should not give place to anything but the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message is one of the distinctions that Paul brings to their understanding. Secondly, look with me starting in verse 5. He will also now speak very uh, uh, deeply about motive. The motive of the minister. Verse 5, For I consider that I am not at all inferior of the most eminent apostles. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you may be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in, and in need, I, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. Now look at verse 13. Here comes the very strong language. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Paul becomes very direct. He begins this, this, this paragraph by saying, Look, we are not inferior to the most eminent apostles. Other translations translate that super apostles. We'll see here that Paul laces in a little sarcasm. It's almost as if he's saying, look, we're not second class apostles to the super apostles that are, that are supposedly among you. The most imminent that have kind of exalted themselves in your midst. We're not inferior to them. Now he says, it may be that I am untrained in speech. Remember, this was a church under much Greek influence, very much uh, enamored with, uh, you know, philosophy and eloquence of speech. And Paul said, you know, I've not been trained in the Greek philosophy skills of rhetoric, but I can tell you this, I am not lacking in knowledge. I may not have delivered it in in the way that you would have liked to have heard it, but what I told you was true. And the message that I brought was from the Lord. And I am not lacking in that kind of revelation. And it may be that I did not meet your desired eloquence, but the truth of my message is of the Lord. I'll quote Warren Wearsby. He says this, How tragic it is 
when unstable believers are swayed by the fair speech of Satan's ministers instead of standing firm on the basic truths of the gospel taught to them by faithful pastors and teachers. Don't fall for flowery speech. It's the, the truth of the message wherein lies the power. And Paul, again, now talking something of his motives. He said, did I sin by preaching to you free of charge? And what a question. Paul did not receive financial support from this church at Corinth. And again, using a little sarcasm, he says, you know, I had to rob the other churches so that I could come and preach to you free of charge. I didn't take advantage of you. I wasn't here for anything that you could give to me. In fact, the other churches that sent me supported me in supporting my ministry. I relied on their support to sustain me while I was here. And when we were here, we were a burden to no one. Was that wrong of me? Did I sin against you by not charging you? We also know that Paul worked as a tent maker, supporting himself on the ministry field as often as he could. Now, it's not that Paul was against receiving support, because clearly he was receiving support from other churches. But in this church, because of what was going on, he didn't want to give them any opportunity to accuse him of an impure motive, but somehow he was in it for the money. He says, did I hold that back because I don't love you? I did this because, God knows, I did this because I do love you. I did this because I wanted to see you uh, built up spiritually, and I did not want anything in return. And he says something else, I will continue to do this. In other words, I'm not writing this so that you'll feel guilty and kind of scurry up a nice offering for me next time I'm in town. I'm going to continue to minister in Corinth the same way. And he tells us why, that I might cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity. You see, these false teachers, they came in charging fees to speak. And it actually apparently turned into some kind of an accusation against Paul. Well, how come Paul doesn't charge us and you do? Well, that's because Paul's not as eloquent as us. That's because Paul doesn't have as legitimate and powerful a ministry as we do. Obviously, that's why he, or he would charge you. It's actually, you know, a sign of his weakness. The fact that we are so eminent and we're super apostles, you know, that's why we have to charge for this kind of ministry. And Paul is actually trying to draw this out, and he's appealing to their understanding. Look, who's, who's doing the right thing here? Who's taking advantage of you? Who loves you? These guys taking your money, or us who came for no charge and preached and ministered to you? He's upset. He says so. He's, again, I just remind you, look at verse 13 again. Such are false apostles. These are pretenders. These are posers. Deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, trying to pretend like they're spiritually working in league with Jesus. Could such a thing be happening? People actually calling themselves Christian ministers, but actually being motivated by Satan? Verse 14, no wonder. Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing. Paul does not surprise by this. If his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Listen, Satan is cunning. And Satan can appear as light. That does not mean that he is the light. 
but he can transform and appear and he looks to deceive. And Paul is saying, so do those who do his bidding. And he calls them out very harshly, very directly. Those who minister for what they can personally gain from you instead of ministering for the hope of what they can give to you. Now, ministers have to survive. Ministers have to pay their bills too. Paul did receive support. And Paul would teach that those who minister the gospel should earn their living from the gospel. He he spoke on the truth that a workman is worthy of his hire, worthy of his wages. It's not that, that ministers cannot earn support, but that's not why they're in ministry. They didn't get into ministry to get something from the people. They got in ministry, if they're of God and truth, to give something to the people. And God then supplies and helps and provides for them to do the work that He has entrusted to them. True ministers should serve to see others do well spiritually. That's what should be in the heart of pastors. That's what I pray will be in my heart. To see you advance in the Lord. To see you doing well spiritually. To see you grow and mature through the faithful teaching of God's Word. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That the church might be strong. That the church might mature and be healthy. And be effective in our generation. This is the heart of the minister. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Paul is calling these guys out. That's not why these guys are there. They're there to take advantage of you. And you're falling for them. The motives are not right. Look on with me now, picking up in verse 16. Paul will now speak of the manner. My idea here is the, the way he conducted himself in ministry. Just his mannerism, just his spirit while he was with the people. Verse 16. I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. You can see Paul, Paul doesn't want to do this, but he's, it's necessary. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly, in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Paul says, allow me the foolishness of boasting. Bear with me in a little folly. This isn't what I want to be talking about. I don't want to be kind of talking about my ministry credentials. I would, I'd hope that you would just have seen and trusted and seen evidence that God was working through our ministry. But since you're listening to the, all these other boasters and they're kind of leading you away, I need to do a little boasting too so that you can contrast the ministries. And he said, listen, you are, you are putting up with these fools gladly. And he's again getting a little sarcastic here. You're putting up with these fools because you're so wise. You imagine yourself to be wise. You imagine yourself to be so discerning. You become enamored with the eloquence, the impressive rhetoric. You've been duped. 
You've been thinking you're really wise and intellectual, but your pride has blinded you. These men have come to rip you off. They've put you into bondage, he says. They devour you. They take from you. They have exalted themselves over you, even striking you in the face. He says sarcastically, I have to admit, we were too weak for that. That wasn't the kind of leadership that we could bring into your midst. You know, I was thinking about that slapping in the face. And apparently this was something that literally was taking place. If, if you know, the people weren't responding, they just got a good slap across the face. Now I was imagining how we might implement that ministry in our church. <laughs> prayer counselors stationed up here after the service. And every three or four people in prayer all of a sudden, bang, bang, <laughs> snap out of it. How would that go over? You know, this is a little slapping ministry. I imagine we'd have a lot more prayer counselors. I want to be in that. I want to, I want to do that kind of ministry. I mean, it's, it's crazy that these guys, they're falling for these guys and they're lording over them. You know, this is how, this is how cults end up deceived. These very oppressive leaders, these celebrity super apostles taking advantage, lording over you. They put you into bondage, legalism. You, don't, you need more than just Jesus. You need our insightful teaching. You need some of these religious practices alongside the gospel. And Paul doesn't know this. Paul won't teach you this, but we will for a fee. And if you'll be careful to support us, and if you'll be careful to allow us to lord over you, and they put you into this legalistic religious treadmill. And it's, it's amazing. People become so loyal to that kind of leadership. It's unhealthy. It's ungodly. It's nothing of Christ. We don't see Christ ministering that way. Nor do we see any of His apostles ministering that way. But these false apostles. And it seems, unfortunately, that some, some actually desire that kind of leadership. I don't know if it's pride because they think they're finding the secret, you know, uh, things of spiritual insight. I don't know if it's just some kind of a, a, a sense of condemnation. And so, you know, somebody that will kind of lord over you and make you feel bad, that kind of makes you feel like that's what I should be feeling. Oh, church was so great today, I felt horrible. Church was so awesome today, I left there feeling miserable about myself. That had to be God, because I know I deserve to feel miserable about myself. And you actually, it kind of reinforces this sense of condemnation, and they seem to line up for some of this kind of ministry. Now listen, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. If you're living in sin and you're living in rebellion, God's Word will pierce the heart. But when, when God is ministering and when it's of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't come to condemn. It always comes with a message of hope. It always comes with an appeal of restoration. God reveals where we are, not so that we can feel miserable about where we are, but so that we would turn to the one that can save us out of where we are. Jesus. John 3.17 God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God wants to rescue us 
And yes, there will be moments of strong conviction, but it's not to keep condemnation, but rather to bring hope and restoration. Paul had said earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let me just read some verses to you. He, he said, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. This was Paul's style. This was his manner, if you will, of ministry, not lording over. Not, not taking advantage of you, not trying to run your life, trying to manipulate, not trying to be exalted over you. Paul said, our appeal to you is through the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Peter speaks to shepherds, pastors everywhere, anyone that would serve in ministry. And he says this in 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. That's the heart of the true minister. Looking to take care of the sheep that Christ has purchased with his own blood. Jesus himself said this, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Ministry should have a certain manner about it, a certain expression of gentleness and humility, a certain appeal to restoration, and a certain invitation to the mercy and the grace of God, not some harsh, overlording, overbearing, celebrity cult personality trying to take advantage of God's people. Finally, pick it up with me. We'll read this last section, and starting in verse 22. Paul now speaks of his mission. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Now, here's his, here's his credentials. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Can you imagine? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, lost at sea. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Verse 28, beside these other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? My care for the church. If I must boast, 
I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the uh, Damascenes with the garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Paul said, you know, these guys have come in with their, their credentials, their letters of recommendation. Oh, and they've boasted, oh, well, we're, we're Hebrew. Well, I'm, I'm Hebrew. Oh, well, we're of Israel. Well, I'm of, Is- I'm of Israel. Well, we're of one of the 12 tribes. Well, so am I. Well, we serve Christ. Well, so do I. And here's, how it, here's what it looks like. You see, the sufferings of Christ have become part of Paul's ministry, too. And he begins to give this list of things that he had endured for the sake of ministry. Now what we discover here is that the book of Acts does in fact tell us and confirm a number of these events. But in addition, Paul gives much more than what's recorded for us in the book of Acts. As it turns out, the book of Acts is really just the highlight reel. There was much more in-depth that Paul went through that is not even given to us in the book of Acts. And he gives us a little glimpse of what it was to be an apostle in his generation. Paul is not writing these things looking for sympathy. Paul is not looking for them to feel bad about his ministry. He did this for the Lord. This is what he said in Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul Paul was not complaining about these hardships for the sake of the gospel. Paul was simply contrasting his ministry to the false ministry. Those that are willing to endure these kinds of trials for the sake of Christ and His church, those are the people that are legit. That's what real ministry looks like because nothing can shake you from it. Nothing can deter you from it. Nothing can stop you from doing what God has called you to do because it's of God and His Spirit empowers it. And I think that's what Paul is looking for, is the contrast here. These others were self-important. They were looking for personal gain, for profit, for prestige, for position. They weren't looking for hardship. They were looking for prima donna status. Paul was saying, here's what it looks like to be an apostle in my calling. True missionary. If God hadn't called him, who, who would possibly endure something like this? Now, I've got to be honest with you, I am so thankful that I, I have not endured any kind of physical suffering for my faith. I've never been beaten for my faith in Christ. I've, I've never been arrested for my ministry. The truth is, I've never been arrested. <laughs> but the point is, you know, and let me, say, let me say this. I pray I never have to go through something like this. But Lord, am I willing? I pray it never comes to that, and I don't know that it will. We certainly see a, a culture that is beginning to turn on the things of God, and especially Bible-believing Christians. And it may be that we will suffer some social Outcast. It may be that we will suffer some persecution, some loss, some struggle. 
But I don't think it will be anything quite as intense as the Apostle Paul. And my prayer is, Lord, if it comes, give me the grace to endure it. I pray that my faith will be strong enough that I will not be shaken from what I believe to be true and what you have called me to do. He says something there again in verse 28, and we'll close with this today. He said, you know, besides all these other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. You see, God had put something of His heart for His people. He had infused it into the heart of the Apostle Paul. And that's the evidence of of real ministry. It comes from God. And so what we see in the Apostle Paul, you know, we could admire him. Wow, what a man of faith. And we do. And and he's something of of an example to us. But understand that it was the grace of God within him that gave him the ability to go and endure those things. What you see in Paul is the love of God. You see Christ. Remember he said, we're like ambassadors. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you to be reconciled to God. This is what was driving and, and, and burning in his heart. This is what real, true ministry looks like. God has touched the heart. And the burden of God has become the minister's calling. And he loves the church. My deep concern for the church. You know, I could be beaten, but oh, don't tell me that one of the churches is struggling. That's what was really stirring in this man's heart. He really kind of brings it full circle. He ends here where he began. That he, his desire is to present the church as a spotless bride to Christ. It's my love for the church that compels me. And it's not my love. It's God, God's love within me. Driving him to serve the Lord. And it's the love for Christ that compels his love for the church. And I pray that we would take some of these distinctions to heart as we consider ministry, true ministry, false ministry. I think we could apply it even in our own heart, those desires that we have for ministry. Lord, how do I measure against these distinctives? Is this really of you, or is there something of me in this? Because when it's of God, these are the kinds of qualifications that stand out. And if we're going to do ministry, boy, I tell you, I don't want to do it without Him, and I don't want to do it for anybody but Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word to us and the example of the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Lord, for these clear distinctions between those that are falsely motivated and I think in some cases even satanically motivated.